reading is from 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 to 21. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feasts of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to do. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. And, The worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder, unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who, who sin are to be rebuked publicly, so that the others may take warning. I charge you, in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favouritism. Uh, good morning everyone. Uh, so pleased and privileged to be with you over this weekend. Sorry I can't meet every one of you in person. I came across this, I uh, don't know if it resonates with you. Uh, somebody told me it has 900 people come to our church. I said, wow, that's brilliant. He said, well, just wait a minute. Uh, 200 weren't members, which left 700 people to do all the work. 150 were children, which left 550 to do all the work. 75 were the exhausted parents of all those little kids. They weren't able to do the work, which left us 475. 
Now 130 had done their best in the past, but now they were quite old and they couldn't do anything much apart from pray for us, important, but it left 345 to do all the work. Now 100 people lived far too far away to really get involved during the week, which left 245 to do all the work. 120, uh, they do shift work, they commute long, uh, long distances, they do very long days and said, to be honest, you know, bear a thought for us, which left uh, 125 to do all the work. 45 were students, some were just going back to uni, some were just come from uni. 25 were under the doctor for depression, 10 were in love, 10 were out of love, uh, 25 people totally dodgy on doctrine, uh, 8 said they got no gifts at all and if you did the maths that leaves you and me and I'm exhausted so good luck to you. Mm, numbers aren't everything are they? Uh, numbers can sometimes mesmerise us. Actually we need to think of church as this passage thinks of church. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 is, if you have your Bible, that would be the passage to have open in front of you now. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 shows it's not so much a factory with workers as so much as a family with people who belong. This is family. And in this passage here, we'll see in one says how to conduct yourself in God's family. Paul has just said that in uh, chapter 3. Uh, verse 15 if I'm delayed you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth God's family so we're going to see three things from this passage uh, this morning and the first one is this own your personal responsibilities own your personal responsibilities uh, verses one and two treat everybody uh, properly uh, to everyone, it's family. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, uh, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Uh, it's family, not, a, not just sort of merely an organisation I've been recruited into. It, it's where I have a sense that I'm loved by Heavenly Father and I need to show love and respect and understanding and thoughtfulness towards others in the family. But having said we ought to own our responsibility to everyone in all our personal relationships, he especially homes in, own your personal responsibilities to the needy. Uh, that's a personal thing. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, their own natural family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, this is pleasing to God. Uh, give these people his instructions. Uh, verse 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith, is worse than an unbeliever. Again in verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them, not that the church be burdened with them, so the church can help those widows who are really in need. Here's this thing of this sort of sense of you have responsibility for close proximity in your natural family. Look after widows. And of course, in the Bible, we forget widows, orphans, people who are in need. Now, what uh, the apostle is underlining here is the importance of what we call the organic. Each individual Christian 
taking their personal responsibility seriously, serving the Lord Jesus and reaching out to care for those, especially as it were, they're related to, they're, they're naturally, organically in touch with. This whole idea of individual Christians serving the Lord Jesus, helping, reaching out, working with those they come into contact with, that's a really important note in the New Testament. Turn with me back, please, to Acts chapter 2. In one sense, there's what's been called the, the great marks of a thriving gospel church. Well, it certainly was, wasn't it? This is the day of Pentecost. Um, we find in verse 41, those, the beginning of this, those who accepted his message were baptised. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You may have heard of a, of a movement called the Nine Marks movement. Well, here are nine marks of authentic gospel church Christianity. They start with the gospel, the message, and then we find, so we find uh, the message, the belief, baptism. Uh, we find life, they devoted themselves. Uh, we find the apostles, authority. We find teaching. We find that whole thing of sharing, fellowship. Breaking of bread, probably eating together, which would have no doubt included the Lord's Supper as well, and to prayer. They're, they're signs of a vibrant uh, Christian church. But notice at the heart of it, this little phrase, the they devoted themselves. The, the uh, desire to serve comes from my response to Jesus. I'm so loved by the Lord Jesus who died for all my sins, took the judgment I deserve, uh, felt that as it were, God turning his back on Jesus, that he would welcome me. In response, I, I serve the Lord Jesus. And it comes from within. I want to serve the Lord Jesus. And this is really important in church life. Certainly as a church grows, it's very easy, and we're going to look at it in a moment, about getting organised well. But it doesn't start there. It starts with each individual Christian serving the Lord as a personal response to him. Uh, at uni, I had a friend whose dad worked at Dinorwick. And I said, well, what's Dinorwick? He said, well, don't you know? It's a mountain in North Wales. What do you mean? Well, uh, inside that mountain, it's now called Electric Mountain. Uh, it was once the largest slate quarry in, uh, in the world. But now, deep in the heart of that mountain, uh, in the largest man-made cavern in Europe, there is an electricity generating station. Uh, it's uh, one where a lake at the top of the mountain, the water has let down these great tunnels and powers these generators. Now, uh, what's interesting is that there are engineers work there. It's a called a pump storage system. And uh, when they see something really significant, uh, some major event, and then the adverts come on, they know just milliseconds before the adverts come on, Two or three million Brits will go and head to the kitchen to put on the kettle. There's a phenomenal surge of power required. They can touch a button at Dinorwick and this amazing power station can come on stream and go from naught to 1.78 gigawatts in 17 seconds. Uh, the mighty Dinorwick can power the whole of Wales for hours if it had to. It's one of the few power stations in the whole of the national grid system that can come on stream at that speed. The mighty Dinorwick 
is the hidden source of power. You go up to Dunort, you can't see it. It's hidden. Now, in one sense, what Paul is talking about here is the hidden source of power for the Christian church. When he talks about each individual Christian reaching out, caring for the needy, they know in this case widows, what he's really putting his finger on is this. The source of that power is the almighty Holy Spirit. When you believed in Jesus, God gave you his Holy Spirit. He sealed you as his own and he commanded you, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. The church can organise things, but deep down the power is not the church leadership. It's each individual Christian. As the Holy Spirit prompts you, encourages you, empowers you to serve the Lord, reaching out here to needy people. It's the secret of the power of the Christian church. It's not in us, but it's in him indwelling each of our hearts. So he starts with this, own your personal responsibilities. Keep on, as it were, looking to the Lord Jesus. Go on being filled with his Holy Spirit. And yeah, do those tough things like providing and protecting and helping, especially the needy that you're in that kind of contact with, which of course naturally would start with your own personal, natural family. But then he moves on from that. And then he says, having said, reach out to the needy, he then says, organise your corporate responsibilities wisely. Now, there's a couple of things here. You'll notice, first, uh, the church needs to give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need, verse 3. And you see it later again in uh, verse 16, that the church can help those widows who are really in need. That is, widows who've not got a family to look after them. Many of the widows in the church will be looked after by others in their family who become Christians. But there will be widows who haven't got family. There are widows who live in streets where there aren't members. There are widows who could easily be isolated and neglected. And the church needs to organise itself to look after these widows. And you can see um, uh, Paul gives us some ideas about these widows. Now, again, in verse 9, he mentions no widow may be put on the list of widows. And he gives us some criteria. Now, there's a little bit of uh, discussion amongst the commentators. Is this, these widows in verse 9, the same list of needy widows of verse 3 or verse 16? It could be that there's a list of needy widows. The church needs to give proper recognition, identify and help the widows who've got no Christians in their family could be in verse 9 that this is not so much a list of needy widows as a list of widows who've devoted themselves to serving. The older women teaching the younger women, as Titus said, to bring up their families, love their husbands and so on and so forth. That, that does seem a little bit of the nuance, doesn't it? For in verse 11, he talks about younger widows. Don't put them on the list. Now, he isn't saying a younger widow might not have needs. A, a younger widow with little children you know, just let them get on with it. No, he, he is, he, he, there's a, a kind of list here of widows who perhaps have made a, a commitment to serve, but then they get taken up with other things. And he counsels them to get married and, and bring up their families and so on. But the point is this, the church needs to identify and plan for the care of widows who can't be cared for organically. It's what we call organisation. 
The church needs to get organised. It, it might need a list. Just as a side, uh, that list is a publicly recognised list. Possibly it's a list because there's a lot of people. In my church here in Bedford, it's a reasonably sized church. About 500 people come, but I could tell you the list. I could tell you the widows. I don't need to put my list. I know who the widows are in the church. You, you, don't have, you only have lists, don't you, when you need public recognition or there, if there's a lot of them and you're afraid that you might miss out somebody if you don't put them on a list. He's talking here about getting organised, giving proper recognition, getting organised. That's, that's one element here. And we see that element again in the book of Acts. And we're going to turn that to a moment. But here, notice also something else the church has to organise. Verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. He's talking here about the church remunerating, recognising and then funding those who work for it. And he gives us some criteria. He talks about the elders, the church leaders. I don't think he's saying there are elders who direct the church fares well and others who are rubbish. I don't think he's saying that. I think you know the, the church elders who direct the church well, they need recognition, double honour. Not just well done, thank you, but that financial commitment to free them up from uh, the demands of other things so that they can devote themselves. We're, we're going to come back to that in a moment. But notice uh, it's an organisational thing. He's instructing the whole body to get itself organised. And that means somebody's going to have to do collections and plan salaries. And, and of course, uh, what he says is it should be generous, double, double honour. What's this pointing to is this. It's the same thing as I mentioned earlier. Acts chapter 6 is the passage. The church that was powerfully organic in Acts chapter 2 kept on growing. But sometimes growth brings growing pains. Acts 6 verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, growing, there was some issues to do with widows. The Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. It wasn't enough, you see, for each individual Christian to look after the widows they knew. What about widows you don't know? Widows that might get left out. And some widows were being left out, possibly because they, they uh, you know, weren't in the in-groups. They were Hellenistic, Greek-speaking, not uh, Greek and Hebrew. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and organised the, the care of widows. They set up a small team, handed over that responsibility. Everybody was involved in, set, in, in choosing the team. Everybody was aware of what the team was doing. Uh, they were set apart publicly. Everybody was pleased and uh, they, they get, got to work and, and the word of God spread. They got well organised. Now, here's the thing, what this is pointing to is that here in 1 Timothy 5, we get a, a picture in one chapter of what was happening to the early church. You need the organic and the organised. Let me just uh, do a, a drawing for you just to help you a little bit. This uh, comes from a, a many, many sources. Use this sort of model of a curve. 
a growth curve, which is like a, a bell-shaped curve. A church can start, grow, plateau, and slowly decline. It's a common picture of living things that grow, thrive, and over time they, uh, they change. Now, uh, one author said you can, you can characterise this growth of church by saying early on, it's an early struggle. You may have felt that when Christchurch first started. Then it becomes a kind of fun and things are growing and going well. But then you hit what, the, what an author's called white water. Acts chapter 6. The church is growing and it gets, it, it, its growth gets beyond it. Things are being neglected. Uh, plates that were spinning are now falling to the ground. You feel overstretched, not doing anything properly. That's called white water. Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy 5, shows us not just the organic church, individual Christians, but also the organised church, the list of widows, the proper remuneration of staff. But the church can sometimes get so organised, what an author calls is you hit treadmill. The other side of treadmill, things become dull the big rut. You must have come churches are just running the programs they've always run for the last hundred years and now it's emptying out, eventually getting to a death rattle. But here's the point. This pace here is where a church is healthy. The tension between the organic, which could lead to whitewater, everybody working like a maniac, but everybody running around a little bit like a headless chicken, and treadmill, where things are so over-organised that people uh, just feel as is so planned. You know that uh, terrible joke that uh, church is like a helicopter. If you get too close, you'll get dragged up into the rotors. Church is full of rotors. And all you know is I'm on a rotor. Oh, no, it's my turn on a rotor. You have over-organised treadmill. Now, 1 Timothy 5 and Acts 2 and 6 together... Give us this tension that the church needs to stay in between these two uh, issues of being organised and being organic. And when those two things come together well, you get a beautiful, healthy church. Acts 6, verse 7, as they got themselves organised, they overcame the problem of neglected widows, so the word of God spread. And then we're told the number of disciples increased rapidly and even priests were converted to the faith. As the church that was full of organic, Holy Spirit driven passion to serve Jesus nearly got itself into trouble when it didn't think through carefully what it had to organise well. And 1 Timothy 5 gives us that all in small compass on the surface of it. It doesn't look very relevant, does it? You know, well, we, we haven't got that many widows and it's not that important. But the principles underneath 1 Timothy 5 is this tension between you serving the Lord and the church getting well organised. But it also tells us that we need to keep going despite the difficulties we face. The Bible's nothing but realistic, isn't it? And in this passage here, we get... Two difficulties that you might face, even if you are organically strong and organised well. What are the difficulties you may face? Well, one is you have to make some difficult decisions about money. If money is tight. Now, when is money not tight? Money is a big issue, isn't it? 
Money is a cause of a lot of friction. Sadly, it's reckoned that something like 80% of divorces, financial problems, financial disagreements figure in there very, very highly in a huge percentage of divorces. Well, here we're presented with an issue of money and money being tight. What it tells us is that the elders ought to be paid. And then it says, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. They ought to be paid. Scripture says, don't muzzle an ox and the worker deserves his wages. Interesting, a quote from Luke chapter 10, Paul calling it scripture. But the point is this, we ought to pay. But what if we can't support all the elders we've got financially and free them from other employment? We have to make a difficult choice. If you money is tight and you can't support all the elders financially, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, that is, those who've got the strongest communication, public communication gifts. Now, how do you tell who that is? Well, that's a difficult one, isn't it? That's a discussion issue. It might change over time. Uh, there will be new preachers and teachers being raised up, given by God to the church. How do you distinguish which ones you finance in training and then releasing to other ministry? That's a difficult decision. The church is always having to make difficult decisions. In fact, this whole passage really about widows is really making sure the church has the resources it needs to look after widows. And it isn't just frittering money away because money's going to be tight. It leads to difficult decisions. It, it, gifts have to be assessed. And that's not an easy thing. But it gives us some criteria. And says, don't be put off by this. Uh, Recognise that good organisation with sincere desire to serve will still face difficulties. And one of them is money may be tight, difficult decisions. And the other one is this, people may be prone to sin. And that needs dealing with. We get two examples of this here. In verse 11 onwards, Paul is saying how younger widows may be avoid sinning. Uh, he's just aware that a younger widow who devotes herself says, look, I'm not going to marry again. I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus. I'm going to be put on the list of widows who, who serve in this church. Well, they might find themselves overcome. They might be romantically attached. And then next thing they know, their time's taken up. Or if they're not. They're not mature enough, maybe, to know what are the pitfalls. He talks about them going from house to house, becoming idle, perhaps, you know, just busybodies. He just said, look, that's a temptation. He's not saying they are doing it now. He's saying it could be. Therefore, avoid temptation. I counsel them, younger widows. We're talking maybe here, younger widows in his age and stage, perhaps younger widows in their 20s, to marry and have children. And not, as it were, put themselves on that list of, like, I'm going to be a widow for the rest of my life and serve the church. That's older widows, widows over 60. In fact, it's a real strong temptation. He says this, doesn't he, in verse 15. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. So he's saying, look, that there are times when you have to avoid sin and be honest about the challenges that different ages and stages of life bring to us. Here he's looking at younger widows, but he could have equally talked about... Uh, Someone who is uh, taken early retirement has now bought out their head. Now, that's rare these days, but it's it's a problem in the past. It could be somebody who's um, going through a, a period of, you know, retraining, looking for another job. What are the temptations of that? Well, maybe that you get overly discouraged when you 
can't find a job easily. There's ages and stages of life. But then he also talks about another difficulty, a prone to sin. This time, not so much the avoiding of sinning, but what happens when they do sin. And he talks about church leaders, verse 19. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone that others may take warning. What he's saying is this, look, people at their best are only people. The best of men are only men at their best. Uh, elders, you know, yeah, they could sin and they could sin seriously and they will need to be rebuked. It, it needs to be handled. Don't be discouraged by it. Don't think, oh no, something terrible's happened. It, it happens. It needs to be dealt with in God's way. Confession, in, in case of an elder, when a, a public sin needs public reproof and and then a, a, when there's confession, it would need a, a a warm forgiveness but the church needs to keep going through all this he's, he's trying to prepare them for saying look there's no perfect church on earth there's no if you get to this size if you get organized like this it'll all be fantastic every stage every phase of church life brings its own challenges uh, you might know that uh, poster 2.45 million of them were produced in World War II, but actually they remained largely undiscovered until someone in a bookshop in Annick in 2000 picked it up and said, wow, I love this. Keep calm and carry on. It's now become a marketing phenomenon, hasn't it? In one sense, what Paul is saying to this church is here, like as in every family, keep calm, carry on, keep working at it. Families are families. You know, you can choose your friends, but you, you don't choose your family. God chooses his children. And uh, in his family, like all family, there's steep learning curves. We need to keep calm and carry on. And, uh, some of you may, uh, you know this man. Uh, he lived not far from where I live, um, in Bedford. And uh, Captain Tom exemplified that sort of keep calm, keep going. You know, that uh, 100 laps of his garden before he was 100 years old. And that's inspired others. Well, in a sense, what Paul is doing here is helping us. In our families, the family of God we belong to, Christ Church Liverpool, to understand the importance of me owning my own personal responsibilities, to understand that church might need to organise well, and that will develop over time as different phases and stages of church life come. It's preparing us that it's not always going to be easy. There will be temptations to avoid. There'll be sins to deal with. But he tells us at the end, in verse 21, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favouritism. Now, in one sense, verse 21 is a, is a tail end of that dealing with the sin of elders. You know, don't be don't be partial there. You know, even though they're your church leaders, they, they sin and they need God's forgiveness and you know, don't show favouritism. Don't be, you know, cronyism is out. Be transparent. We're told to do everything that's right in the sight of all people. But here, it's the sight of God. Because remember, it's God's family we're in. It's Christ Jesus who paid the ultimate price for us to be in God's family. And the angels are watching. 
the spiritual fight that we're in. Are we going to be faithful to the Lord and serve him with all our hearts? Are we going to recognise, like all families, we need to organise well and keep on going onwards and in, tr in truth upwards to that day when we meet him as our judge, yes, but as our father, our saviour, our friend. Or may the Lord encourage you to own your responsibilities personally, but organise well and wisely, but also to keep going, whatever the difficulties you may face. May the Lord encourage you.